With the 15th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. Week 8 of college football is now in the books. A lot of news to get to. We've also got a big trade we're going to hit on, and we'll do it all right at the top of the show here with Saturday Scouting. Dane Brugler is here once again to hash out everything we saw this weekend in college football. We'll cover our big takeaways, standout players, and more right at the top of the show. After that, we've got On the Clock, where Gabriella DiGiovanni is going to join the show once again to play judge and jury for Dane and I, our weekly debate segment, where this week, We're going to try and sell Ella on a defensive player that we like outside of Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. Should be a fun debate between Dane and I. We'll see who comes out on top in that segment. After that, Ben Fennell is going to join us for our final two segments of the show. We're going to go under the hood and talk through linebacker play. Then we're going to carry those notes over to our scouting report segment and read our notes on current Eagles linebacker TJ Edwards when he was coming out of Wisconsin in 2018. So we'll cover all of that there in our scouting report segment. As always, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you, if you've got a question, if you've got a mock draft, player rankings, whatever it is, leave it there in our Apple podcast page. We will get to it here in an upcoming episode. That said, let's get into it. Time now to welcome in Dane Brugler for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's start it off with Saturday scouting. And before we dive into this weekend's action with college football, I also want to rewind to last Thursday night here, Dane, because we had a, uh, a trade in the NFL with some NFL draft implications. The San Francisco 49ers, a team that already was without their first round pick in this spring's draft. Well, they give up their second, their third, and their fourth, and another pick in the future to get uh, Christian McCaffrey, the running back from the Carolina Panthers. So um, I just want to get your thoughts on this deal. Obviously, look, for, from a X's and O's standpoint, it's, it's very fun, right? adding Christian McCaffrey to the 49ers offense with Shanahan and with Debo Samuel and Kittle. That's going to be really fun. Uh, what we saw this weekend, just a little bit of an appetizer where you have like 10, 11 touches. Um, but I think from a, a team building standpoint with all of the assets they've put into the running back position in the last three, four, five years uh, for an offense that leverages that position as well as anybody. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting discussion point, a really debatable topic. Oh yeah, certainly. And you know, it's, does it feel a little desperate? Yeah, a little. Uh, but I would say it's probably more aggressive than desperate, uh, especially when you look around at the NFC. Uh, you see the Packers struggling. The, the Bucks are struggling. Um, the, the 49ers, their own division is up for grabs. The Rams are reeling a little bit. The Cardinals can't find any consistency. I mean, we're at a point where the Seahawks are maybe the new favorite in, in the NFC West. So uh, the Niners see an, an opportunity to go for it, uh, to win now. And so is there a risk involved? Uh, no, no doubt about it. Um, McCaffrey's a great player, but is he going to be that missing piece that puts San Francisco over the top with, you know, the quarterback situation um, and just where they are from a team building standpoint. So, um, and it's interesting when you look at the draft capital for this upcoming draft, their first rounder belongs to the Dolphins. Yep. Now their second, third, and fourth rounders belong to Carolina. They also traded away their sixth rounder. So right now they've got, what, a fifth and two sevenths? Uh, now they are expecting some compensatory picks, probably two thirds. So that's an important part of this to mention. But still, I mean, Kyle Shanahan, they must be convinced that McCaffrey is that much of an impact player in that offense that he can maybe give them an edge to not only make the playoffs, but make a run at uh, an NFC title. 
Yeah, I think that uh, your cohorts on the Athletic Football Show uh, podcast feed, uh, Robert Mays and Nate Tice did a great job of kind of hitting all of the points uh, surrounding this move, really from both franchises' standpoint, because obviously Carolina, uh, you know, in the catbird seat as we sit here, um, potentially, I mean, they had a big win this week, so maybe not, uh, but in play for uh, mm -hmm. one of those top picks uh, in this draft, and then adding all of that capital, that will be big for their rebuild. But, um, you know, when you look at San Francisco and the way that they've allocated resources to the running back spot, uh, just, you know, last year trading up for Trey Sermon in the third round. He's not on the roster anymore. The guy that they drafted a few rounds later, Elijah Mitchell, outplayed him last year from a production standpoint. They draft Tyrion Davis-Price in the third round this year. He's inactive in week one in favor of the undrafted free agent Jordan Mason from Georgia Tech. Uh, they spend free agent money on uh, on Tevin Coleman and on Jer and Jarek McKinnon. And what happens? They, they get all the production from Raheem Mostert uh, over the course of his career, right? So I think that it's it's just a, it's a really interesting allocation of resources to that position. But uh, again, McCaffrey is a great player, arguably the number one back still uh, in in the NFL. And so adding him to that offense certainly will give them a boost, but uh, we will see what that means from a long-term standpoint. And to your point, they do get uh, a couple of thirds potentially here if the comp formula holds out in their favor. So with that in the books, let's get to uh, this weekend in college football, Dan. We'll go with our, our game balls. We'll start on the offensive side of the football. I will let you kick things off. It came in a loss to Oregon, uh, but Zach Charbonnet, the UCLA running back, he, he did what he could to keep the Bruins in that game. Finished with 151 yards rushing and a touchdown, 7.6 yards per carry. His vision and balance are so, so impressive. And uh, honestly, it reminds me of Nick Chubb. Now, he isn't the dynamic athlete that Chubb is. And that's that's what separates the two. I don't, yep. I, I don't, I, I'm going to go on Twitter tomorrow and Someone's going to tweet how I compare the two as being similar players. And they are similar when you talk about vision and balance. But again, the athleticism, there, there's a gap there. Um, but Charbonnet, he also has power. He can blow through arm tackles. They don't slow him down. Uh, he's a reliable pass catcher. And he maximizes each run because he's so good at reading the field, reading the blocks. Uh, he's really been Mr. Consistency uh, for UCLA uh, his, the last few years, but especially this year. He's gone for at least five yards of carry in every single game. Uh, and I think he continues to show why a lot of teams have day two grades on him when it comes to his draft projection. Yeah, he's a guy that we, we've talked about a little bit and just has been so important for that offense. Yeah, they got their first loss of the year against Oregon, but uh, Charbonnet, uh, far from the reason why they took the L there against the Ducks. Uh, I want to stay at the running back spot. I want to stay in the senior class, and let's go to uh, Appalachian State and Cameron Peoples. Now, this is a guy that we talked about uh, back in the summer. I studied Cameron Peoples, and he is he's kind of a physical marvel just the way he's built. He's bigger than most average running backs for certain. I mean, he's 6'2". He's in that 220-pound range. He's a big physical ball carrier. He goes for just on un just under 170 yards and two touchdowns. This game feels like forever ago at this point. It was last Wednesday night, but uh, still counts for week eight in college football. 11 of those 23 carries, Dane, went for first downs, just demoralizing uh, if you're a defense. And when you look at the way that he, what he brings to uh, the, that college offense, but also what he's going to bring to the NFL, I think that, that this is a part of his game that translates. I mean, just under five, uh, just under five yards per contact uh, or yards after contact contact per attempt. Sorry, butchered that uh, from Cameron Peoples. Uh, just awesome making that first man miss and powering through that initial contact. He had four runs of 10 plus in that game against Georgia Southern. And you just saw that power, that, that physical dimension that he brings. He is so decisive downhill, just keeping his pads square to the line of scrimmage. That's the dimension he is going to bring to an NFL offense. Is he always going to be a, a 20 plus carry game guy? Probably not. I don't know that if, he, that if he's that kind of feature back skill set in the NFL, especially when you factor in third downs. But I think when you take a look at what he can be on, from an early 
early down standpoint, I think he's got that ability to be a, like a tone setter early and a finisher late in games for teams. And I, I think that kind of player does have value. Yeah, and I, I think when I watched uh, his film, the main takeaway I had was he's a really big ball carrier, and that's both a positive and a negative. Sure, because yep. it, it, it's a negative because he's a big, he, he runs upright. The pads are high. He's a big target for the de- defenders, but it's also a positive because of a lot of the things that you mentioned. I mean, he's a hard charger. Uh, he runs with power. Um, you know, there, there's he's got a little bounce uh, to him and with his feet where you know, if the lane's not, not there, he can bounce and find another lane to work with. Uh, he'll bounce off contact with that size. So, you know, it's it's both it's a double edged sword with him. But, yeah, he is a guy that uh, when you look at this running back class, the seniors, uh, it, you know, he's probably one of the top five, six, seven running backs in that mix. Yeah. Um, so certainly a guy that's got a chance to be drafted. Yeah, I know the uh, the Shrine Bowl just tweeted out a little bit before we went to air uh, that he won their player of the week on the offensive side of the mm-hmm. football, just kind of showing, uh, getting some of that recognition for that performance this past week. Let's go to the defensive side of the football. Who's the guy that gets your game ball here this week? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Zach Harrison from Ohio State. Yep. Uh, one of the more just unique seniors in this draft class. He's as freaky as they come. 6'6", 266 pounds. Um, and that's what he was in the spring. He's probably over 270 now, uh, now that in season, almost 36 inch arms. He's going to run in the four fives and it's even possible he could get in the four fours. He is that type of speed. It's just ridiculous. Uh, those traits alone give defenders problem. We saw that on Saturday against Iowa, he had only nine pass rush snaps. He had five pressures and a strip snap, a strip sack on those uh, nine pressures uh, or nine uh, snaps. He also had a pass breakup where he was able to get a lot of movement on the left tackle and then get his hands up into the passing lane. The last few weeks, he's been really impactful and he's playing better and better. Sometimes lined up on the inside, other times lined up on the edge. The interesting part with Zach Harrison, uh, just doing a lot more work on him. He's playing less than half the snaps that he played last year. Now, he's still a starter, but last year he averaged 47 defensive snaps per game. This year, he's averaging only 22 snaps per game. So it's a decreased role, but his impact has been greater. So, you know, with the new defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, coming in, um, you know, working with a more of a rotation with that defensive line, uh, it's been really interesting to see how they use Harrison, how what the impact has been. And I still have some questions with him, but when you just factor in the freaky traits and the on-field impact that he's having, it's really going to be tough for NFL teams to say no to this guy, uh, you know, somewhere in the top 50 or 60 picks. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think when you look at, at his entire body of work, the way that I looked at him, because we've been talking about him now for two, three seasons. Obviously, he was a big-time recruit, and he's been a starter now for the last couple of years for the Buckeyes. But it was never – you always kind of walked away from watching him as like, oh, I don't know if the, if the hole is greater than the sum of the parts. Like, you saw the length, you saw the athleticism, but is everything else that – has it all come together? And I don't know that we're seeing that necessarily this year. But again, to your point, he's maybe he's playing more of a role now than what we can expect from him in the NFL, playing less snaps playing Mm -hmm. in more of a rotation if he's being platooned up front and that's what I've always kind of felt this way about him is that you know you see guys with his height weight speed profile uh, with his tools 
Those guys stick as, as third and fourth defensive ends in the, in the NFL all the time, every year, and they'll play four, five, six, seven years in the league. So I, that's the way I kind of look at Harrison is like, yeah, like the ceiling is there, but also you really kind of like his floor as well and what he could be. And so that's kind of how I feel about Harrison. Uh, I'm excited to dig deeper into the, the senior tape and see how much of a jump uh, he has made. But it is interesting that the, the role has definitely changed for him so far this year. Uh, I want to take this back to the secondary. I want to go down to the SEC and talk through South Carolina corner Cam Smith. Some people feel uh, Smith might be one of the top you know, one or two best corners in this draft uh, if he were to declare. Now, uh, South Carolina gets a big win over Texas A&M this week. Cam Smith, one reception allowed for three yards. Just an outstanding performance. This will be one of the first games that people go back to watch going up against this uh, the spread offense from A&M. And I think when you look at uh, four forced incompletions, that's a, a stat from PFF. Just one, He had one dropped interception uh, that would have uh, really put an exclamation point on the day. But I think when you look at Camp Smith, he showed up time and time and time again when you go back and watch that tape against A&M. So uh, Camp Smith, the, uh, the junior corner from the Gamecocks, a guy that played uh, alongside J.C. Horn, behind J.C. Horn early Early in his career, he's got eyes on him, and now you know he has that same kind of profile, that same kind of physical demeanor. He can get a little bit grabby at times. He's borderline, but this is a really aggressive corner, uh, and there's a lot to like there from a height, weight, speed standpoint as well. Yeah, and you know he's been banged up a little bit this year. Um, you know, I still want to see him maybe be a little bit more consistent as a tackler, but yeah, he was a guy that you coming into the year you thought, okay, you see some tools that could translate to being a first round pick. And um, I think that shows up every time you watch him. Consistency still needs to be uh, better uh, in terms of being convinced that he is a first round pick, but uh, he's certainly trending that way with the traits. And then the, if you look at his strengths and what he does really well, it's easy to get excited about him. All right, so let's get to our next category here, our one-play takeaway. And just for some inside baseball for uh, for our listeners, I go of one – I don't know how you approach this, Dane, but I go about this category one of two ways. It's either going to be centered around the, the couple of games that I watch in any given week. So, hey, I'm sitting down to watch uh, Alabama versus LSU. What's one play that stood out to me that I take away from it? Or when I'm kind of going through highlights and you go through social media and there's, there's a play and we're like, oh, man, that's an outstanding play. Like, and that one kind of sticks with you. Well, this one for me is more in that latter category. I did not watch Notre Dame versus UNLV. Uh, that was not a game that was on my radar coming into this week. But uh, the catch by Michael Mayer down the seam, going to the ground, yeah. leaping or diving intercept or diving reception uh, down the field, that just kind of shows like, okay, that, that's what he can bring to the table as a, as a pass catcher. He contributes as a blocker as well. Um, but that's one of those like, okay, like the, those ball skills really kind of shine when you're talking about the Notre Dame junior tight end Michael Mayer. Uh, that catch that he had going to the ground against UNLV that one will stick with me oh it was outstanding and anyone that hasn't seen it um i tweeted the um uh from from the all 22 the, the end zone view uh, i just it's unbelievable there, there's no there's no window there uh but the, the the notre dame offense is basically force feed number 87 the, the past uh, game has really struggled this year for yeah sure. and, and you know the quarterback is it's the backup and yep. you know he's uh you know he's a little limited uh but at least they're not underutilizing uh, their best player on offense. So we'll put it that way. So um, yeah, there, there was no window there and he kind of just threw it down the seam and uh, Michael Mayer, he's so, he's so strong. His play strength is outstanding. And then his focus through contact is really impressive. So on contest, he might be one of the best contested catch tight ends we've seen uh, come out of college here mm. in, in, in a while. Um, and he's not a, you know, he's not in that Kyle Pitts, in terms of you know athleticism like course, okay i'm gonna yep. put you on the spot here 
Over under four seven four in the forty Ooh. yard dash. I'm gonna say slightly under, as in faster. I, I think he's a, he's got a little okay. bit more, but not much more. Like if you if you had set that at like four six eight four six nine, I would have struggled. But um, I, I would say he's gonna be in that he's gonna be in that ballpark. Okay, yeah, and and, and that's he's not gonna be a blazer. Just gonna beat NFL linebackers and safeties with pure speed. So it makes it even more important that he's good in those tight windows. And he's really, really good. Because again, the play strength, the focus, and uh, I'm glad you highlighted this play because I I think it shows that uh, in a big way. And he's going to the ground. So it's not like, you know, it has to be these perfect passes. He will go and get the football. All right. Well, who's who's your one play takeaway for the week? Uh, Well, I'm I'm gonna go with two here. Okay. Um, and you know, you mentioned how your process. My process is basically, you know, every Sunday, wake up, go to church, come home, and I'm watching. I'm I've got my laptop open. I'm watching tape all day uh, from the previous day uh, from Saturday. Got NFL games on one screen, and then the tape on another. And one thing that I was really eager to see was. Tucker Craft, the South Dakota State tight end, coming back from that injury. Boy, yep. What would he look like in his first action? Uh, looked pretty darn good. Uh, he had a 32-yard touchdown in the second quarter that he he looks healthy. Um, and again, I tweeted the clip um, uh, from the tape. He, he looked really, really good. Uh, it doesn't look like he's moving half speed out there. Um, and he caught the ball. It was a little bit away from his body. And then he broke about four tackles uh, on his way to the end zone. So this guy is just... I mean, he was in my top 50 over the summer for a reason, and he showed it in his first game back. He got hurt the first drive in the opener against Iowa. I think they beat Iowa if uh, mm. if Kraft doesn't get hurt. He's that type of uh, impact player. So good to see him back out there and, uh, you know, kind of remind everybody why this is a, a guy that's going to go very early if he declares for the draft. And then uh, the second one, uh, Vanderbilt, we don't get a chance to talk about Vanderbilt all that much, uh, but they've got a few guys on defense that are really impressive. And this is a play that I saw um, go out, run on Twitter, and then I pulled up the the tape on it, and it was even more impressive. Uh, they, they, it, I think it was a third down, and they run kind of like a stunt. Anthony Orgy, uh, linebacker for Vanderbilt, uh, balance and agility, work around the uh, work down the line of scrimmage, get around the guard on this pressure, and just totally lays the boom on the quarterback. I mean, the court is, I think his helmet hit the ground first, uh, was his first body part to hit the ground. The ball's dislodged, uh, it's a scoop and score for Vanderbilt. There's a lot going on on that play because the, the safety number 13 just leapfrogs. Uh, the the running back and pass protection, just a crazy play by Vanderbilt. But uh, Anthony Orgy uh, is a linebacker that needs to be on the radar. He leads the SEC in tackles. Coming into the year, I thought, okay, this is this is a, a pretty talented player. Could be a day three pick. I, I think he's a potential top one hundred pick with how he's played this year on the twenty twenty two tape. Uh, the Hawaii tape had some splash plays, so that that's a name to keep on the radar uh, come draft time. Yeah, Derek Mason and his staff, the former head coach there, did a nice job of identifying defensive talent. They had a, a they've had a number of guys drafted, uh, you know, day two uh, over the course of his tenure mm-hmm. there, and you wouldn't normally think that with Vanderbilt. And we'll see if Orgy uh, can kind of factor into that discussion. Um, I actually want to pick a play uh, or a player from that exact game, uh, Dane, for our future stud. Uh, I'm going to go back to that Missouri Vanderbilt game. How about Missouri? They've got the true freshman wide receiver Luther Burden uh, the third, who was a, a five star recruit this past dra- uh, recruiting cycle. Four catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown. 
touchdown, including a 35-yard score on a screen pass. Uh, got a, a look at that play, and just you see the, you see the electricity that he brings to an offense. Um, well, I'm excited to watch more of this kid down the road. I think he's just a name kind of file away. I knew I knew of him just from recruiting, um, but just kind of this was the first time they kind of popped for me uh, on a Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm going to stick with the SEC and go with the guy we've talked about before, uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry. Uh, yeah. Mississippi State, they were not afraid to throw at him, uh, but I thought he responded pretty well. He gave up some catches, uh, there's no doubt, but um, I, I thought he did a nice job uh, you know, limiting the damage. He had four pass breakups, several of those on third down. So he was up for the challenge, and, and I think he's continues to get better um, you know, based off of what we've seen this year. So definitely a guy we'll be talking about over the summer and then into next season. I'm glad you brought him up because I was very close to bringing him up for my game ball. Both he and Eli Ricks, mm-hmm. uh, I thought both really showed up against Mississippi State. I was glad that you uh, brought those guys to the table. Uh, let's now wrap this up with our film room recap. One player we noticed just studying the film uh, over the last week or so that you want to bring to the table. I'll let you kick things off. Uh, so, uh, a, a guy that, uh, our buddy Brandon Thorne, um, kept telling me, uh, you know, you need to watch more of this guy, Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse. Um, you know, I, because Syracuse's schedule was so, uh, light the first half of the year, you know, I, I, I was kind of waiting on Bergeron just to see how he would do against Clemson. He's got Notre Dame here coming up. Um, but based off of, you know, last year's tape, I thought Bergeron was a, a third or fourth round pick, you know, a guy that, uh, you know, I know we've, we've mentioned before on this podcast, but a guy that, uh, you know, is a, a good player, but you know, how good. And the first half of his senior tape, he's a guy that, you know, wants to be drafted in the first few rounds, uh, quick off the snap, good feet. He redirects really well with his hips. Uh, I think he's really efficient in terms of his aiming points and then his reset, the big question would be, how would he hold up against top competition? And against Clemson on Saturday, he saw that. It was a great yeah. battle with him and Miles Murphy. Uh, and Murphy definitely got him a few times, especially with those long-arm moves that he has. But Bergeron held his own as well. So, uh, you know, he, and he's a really interesting background story, you know, coming from Canada. I mean, he was a guy that wasn't on the radar at, at all, uh, you know, cr- growing up in the Ontario area until he went to a camp at Syracuse. And earned an offer that way. Very, very raw. But they put him on the field as a true freshman. And he answered, uh, you know, he stepped up pretty quickly. Kind of had to learn on the fly. Um, But he's been a starter ever since. Started on the right side. Started on the left side. So uh, Matthew Bergeron's a really interesting tackle prospect who coming in was uh, viewed as a third or fourth rounder. Now I, I think he's squarely in that day two range. And how he finishes in terms of, okay, how does he do against Notre Dame? How does he do the, the rest of the year? How does he do at an all-star game at the Combine? That will ultimately determine how high he could be drafted, but uh, definitely a guy with an arrow on his back. Yeah, a good callback just because we talked about it a couple times in the preview episode last week. Chad Reuter brought him up. Ben brought him up as well, Ben Fennel, uh, previewing this week and how he would look against uh, against Clemson and Miles Murphy in that front. So uh, good week for Bergeron. I watched a good chunk of that game as well, so uh, was happy to see his performance uh, against the Clemson Tigers. For me, I want to go to the small school ranks. I'm going to go to uh, Hunter Lepke, the, the tight end, fullback for North Dakota State. And he... This guy's a fun player, Dane. I mean, it's I don't know yeah. exactly where I like him, but you know, in the NFL, like obviously I think he can play some fullback if you need him. I kind of like him as a maybe a do-everything H-back. He can kind of move around because he did a little bit of that uh with the bison. But you know, at 6'1, 235, he's definitely not your traditional inline player. Um, 
this kid's athletic though. He can get down the scene. Yeah. He could be a mismatch player. I like him on those vertical routes. And he is the, I would say his number one trait, the thing that sets him apart, his ball skills and finishing ability at the catch point are exactly. outstanding. Dude, he catches 100%. everything. He is so yeah. much fun in the pass game with his usage. I think he's fine as a blocker. You know, when he's as a wing, he could do a nice job on like as like a pinner on those pin pull schemes. He's an okay lead blocker in the QB run game. That's where he's used uh, most often. He'll get he'll get smushed by linebackers in the A and B gaps in the NFL. Uh, I don't know that he's quite there yet as kind of a, that kind of lead blocking presence. So that's why I kind of balk at like a. Uh, like a Kyle Juszczyk comp because Juszczyk is great yeah. because he's a do everything. Like he can, he can do everything equally well. And I don't know that Lepke's there. So I think that that lack of versatility almost makes him more of a, um, yeah, as a, a back end roster kind of a bit player on offense as a, is he an undersized tight end or is he a heavy running back? Kind of like the Xander Horvath kid that the chargers took late uh, this past year. Right. But I think he's got a little bit more movement skills um, from a, from a pass game standpoint than Horvath did. I, he was more of like a traditional uh, tailback and look at times that's what Lepke is uh, for this offense he is like hey we're gonna have one back in the backfield and we're gonna hand it off um, he is their goal line short yardage guy you know in the run game so I think he he definitely brings that level he's a, he's a fun player but it's I think it's just a matter of understanding what is his best usage but uh, a really fun prospect to study 100% agree with you I, I mean I, every tape you put on there is at least one or a few plays designed for him to leak out and either work the sideline, work the seam, um, and his his body control and tracking skills are so, they're so impressive. Uh, I mean, he looks like a very natural pass catcher. Um, and uh, it's, 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 I mean, Arizona's tape, the South Dakota State tape, the YSU tape, every single tape, it's like the defense should know it's coming. But uh, somehow, some way, he's still able to, uh, you know, leak out. And, you know, these passes are not just dump offs. They're uh, where he's asked to, you know, make these full body adjustments and he does it along the sideline. He does it uh, over the middle of the field. It, it's really fun to watch. So, yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said. I think the Kyle Juszczyk comp, I mean, it seems like ever there, there's at least one H back that's compared to Juszczyk every single year. Um, and it's going to be Lepke this year. Uh, and I, th I think it does fit because I think he has that potential to grow into that. But I yep. think you're absolutely right that he's not quite there yet. And that what he does best right now is catching the ball down the field. And that that's going to be his key to getting on the field early in the NFL. Yeah, like I, I think he's closer to like a Trey Burton than he is to a – uh, mm -hmm. to a uh, to a, a Kyle Juszczyk. I, I think that might be the usage at the end of the day, but um, again, the, that ability to be lined up everywhere do, does make him fun. So uh, I'll be interested. I, I, all 32 uh, teams will view him a little bit differently. Well, Dane, uh, we've got a couple more players we're going to hit on. We, we finished up with a couple of offensive players. Let's see if we can talk through some defense here with Ella. Let's welcome in Gabriella DiGiovanni for our On the Clock. On the Clock. All right, let's keep the show rolling here with our on-the-clock segment as we welcome in LLD Giovanni. Uh, Ella, take us through the, uh, the topic here for this week. Yeah, let's do it. I know, Fran, you're trying to tie it up this week. So I'm going to the defensive side of the ball. I feel like the past few weeks on the segment, we've been sticking with offense. So if I'm an NFL organization, I want you guys to sell me on a college football defender that is not named Will Anderson or Jalen Carter because obviously you can make a case for any team who needs guys like that. So pick a defender. doesn't even need to be your number one or number two guy after those top two. Uh, but give me a defender. Sell it to me why my team needs that defender. 
So, uh, Dane, I think you are uh, you, you lead us off here. I'll, I'll, I will have second pick, uh, and you have the, uh, the one-point lead, so we'll see if you can uh, expand on that here in the segment. Here we go. Yeah, yeah and this is a really interesting topic because I think there's um, a lot of different ways you could go, a couple different positions, a couple different players. Um, but I'm going to go with the guy that puts pressure on the quarterback. Uh, Clemson pass rusher Miles Murphy is that guy. Leads the Tigers and tackles for loss and sacks. Uh, he's still developing his rush plan, but he gets better with each game. And when you think about all the reasons why Trevon Walker went number one overall last year, Murphy is not quite as freaky, but he's close. And he's in a similar mold. He's 6'5", 275 pounds, really long arms. Uh, he was number three on Bruce Feldman's freaks list because of the power, the explosion, big time weight room numbers. Uh, and I think that translates to the field. 35-inch vertical, a 4.5, 40-yard dash at 275 pounds. That's crazy. So I'm going with a premium position. Uh, I'm going with an athletic freak. And I'm also going with the guy that has production. Uh, but And not just production, but substantial upside, too, because he's getting better and better and better. And you feel like he's not even close to his ceiling. So give me the guy that has all those things, and I'm going to feel pretty good about who I'm adding to my defensive front. All right, friend. All right, so uh, I will also go with the premium position, but I'm going to mm -hmm. go to the SEC, and I'm going to go to the number one team in the land, the Georgia Bulldogs, and pass rusher Nolan Smith is a senior, Ella, uh, undersized, under six foot three, 237 pounds. But I think when you look at this player on tape, he presents a combo skill set. He's got elite quickness, change of direction, body control. He can run the hoop as well as anybody, but he's also naturally powerful, much more so than other guys his size. He can get fast push against tackles and tight ends. He's really good through contact, dominant in the run game, setting the edge and working against tight ends on the perimeter, and he can also drop in coverage. So when you talk about the role, Dane alluded to Trevon Walker, What a lot of the things that Nolan Smith does in that defense are very, very similar in terms of of his usage, that, that versatile skill set really put on display. And like Miles Murphy, the, the rush plan is still developing. That was the big knock was the lack of production. Uh, he arrived on campus, Ella, as a five-star recruit. And you know, you know, following the Buckeyes as close as you do, uh, those guys show up with those that high pedigree, and it's a disappointment if they are not Chase Young right off the bat, right? And I think that that was kind of the knock on Nolan Smith is where the numbers, where the numbers, where the numbers. Um, but we were saying that about all of those Georgia defensive linemen a year ago as they uh, cashed those checks as first-round picks, right? So I think when you look at Nolan Smith, uh, what has he done in the last month? Well, he's had three sacks in his last four games continues to pile up production from that standpoint but look don't just take my word for it let's look, let's look at what some of the experts say look, what did Dane Brugler have on him coming into the season well he was number 11 in his too early mock draft let's just real quick just where, where did Miles Murphy number 30 how about on his edge preview coming in on, on the summer uh, Dane had uh, had Nolan Smith at number two he had Miles Murphy at number five. So uh, I will say that uh, Nolan Smith, he, he's got a little bit of the edge from that standpoint. But again, th I think when you look at the tape, uh, there is a lot to be excited about with Nolan Smith. And we know that with the way that defenses are playing now, it's not just about cut your, uh, turn your ears back and get after the quarterback, pin your ears back and get after the quarterback. And that's not always what these guys are going to be asked to do. That's not what Nolan Smith is asked to do within the structure of that Georgia defense. And he's got that skill set to check all the boxes up front. You knew Fran was going to go digging, Dane. See, your problem is you have too much out there early on. That it's just <laughs> bulletin. I mean, 
if, if you want me to bring up outdated info, I could. I mean, that's, that's fine. But, you know, I choose to live in today and not bring up stuff from the summer. So, so you know, I, I chose not to go that route. Guys, this is a hard one, I will say. Um, I think this is an exciting group heading into the 2023 draft. And, like, kind of the the point that both of you made is, like, both of these players, um, it was kind of a build to get to where they are. And I think that's what makes them exciting and shows a lot of potential in the NFL. Oh, I'm struggling with this one. Um, I'm going to go... Fran. Oh, nice. There we go. <laughs> Ties it up. He just gave me a little more to push it over the edge. <laughs> oh, come on. Fake, fake news. Listen, well, at, at the end of the day, I feel up. like what we've seen, the theme with Ella is that if you were the last person in her ear, uh, you can get that W. And we'll see if uh, we'll see if that carries through it helps, uh, yeah. for, for next week. But um, no, you're, you're this, running a two a two win streak, aren't you, Fran? I do. I've got I've got two wins in a row. Um, right. But look, Ella, to your point, uh, this edge group is going to be really really fun. Yeah, you know, with the underclassmen, with the senior class, uh, you factor in the defensive tackles in this group, the interior defensive linemen. Yep. It's a really good group uh, of guys that play up front on the defensive side of the football. You you made the point when bringing up the topic that we spent so much time in this segment talking about offense and uh, time to give the defense a little bit of love. And we were able to do that uh, here in this segment. So Dane, Ella, thanks so much uh, for joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. And we'll be back with both of you guys next week. What makes those great players great? It's time to roll up our sleeves and go under the hood. All right, time now to go under the hood for the linebacker position with my friend Ben Fennel. You guys all know him by now. Uh, he's been on the show every single week for as long as we've been doing the show almost. So you can follow him at Ben Fennel underscore NFL on Twitter. Ben, let's talk through linebacker. I think this is guy we haven't done that yet in this segment. Um, so I, I want to talk, talk, talk first. It's obviously a very uh, highly discussed position. Fans, especially Eagles fans, love linebacker play. And so my question for you is, what is your non-negotiable? You're looking at a linebacker, you say, all right, this guy cannot be great without this trait. What is that number one trait? Yeah, it's a great conversation considering today's NFL and it's a sub-package world, but the NFL and schemes are cyclical. So you're starting to see offenses beef back up, more base linebackers out there. And in general, we're going to talk about Mike's, Will's, Sam's, and kind of lump them all together. Different schemes, different positions, but we're going to call them all linebackers. Yep. My one absolute non-negotiable, top, underlined, highlighted, red, bolded, toughness. You absolutely have to be tough first and foremost. You must be able to play through contact, off contact. You have to finish. It is your job in just a mano a mano to get the ball on the ground. You have to finish, and a lot of times that comes with playing through a lot of traffic and fighting off a lot of players that are all intents are bigger than you. You have to battle, wrestle, fight offensive linemen, all with the intent of getting that ball carrier to the ground. And there's scenarios where you might have to shed a block, your feet stop, and a 230-pound running back has four to five heads, you know, yards of head, head of steam coming at you. It's no excuse. You don't get to say, I was in a bad position, coach. Sorry, I couldn't make that play. Yep. You have to fight through all that. You have to be so tough, not only mentally tough, but I'm pretty much talking about the physical toughness of the position and how taxing it is. You have to be tough. And if you aren't tough, you then can't tap into all these other skills and abilities that that position requires. Yeah, I mean, we could start. We're, we will talk about the other physical traits that you need, but that toughness, that competitiveness, to me, like, 
you talk about all positions on defense. This is a core trait that is required, but obviously certainly a linebacker. Uh, that is a prerequisite. That is a non-negotiable at that position. Now, aside from toughness, aside from the competitiveness, what are the three most important traits on the field that you feel you need to be an NFL starter at linebacker? Well, firstly, I'm going to lump two kind of together. That's instincts and anticipation. Yep. So I think that kind of encompasses – Everything from Monday to Saturday, before Sunday even starts. That's your film work. That's your football intelligence, your IQ, your recall, your tendencies that you're keying in that game, whether it's tells or formations or alignments that your opponent uh, is deploying. That all puts you in positions to then make plays and deploy the down-to-down and between-the-whistle ability. So that's like reading your keys uh, post-snap and making sure you're identifying what the offense is trying to do to you in a post-snap scenario. So instincts and anticipation, a lot of times the offense is going to tell you where the ball is going and you can get yourself a step ahead by those keys, that film study, that football intelligence. And we see that from time and time again with players that maybe lack some physical traits but are so instinctive, have such good anticipation they look like elite athletes out there. And I think it's an interesting conversation in marriage when you try to, you know, uh, kind of blend the physical with the mental. Mm. And this linebacker position is absolutely a hybrid of those two. Uh, to me, and that's why I, I think there's there's this difference between the first question and this question, right? The first question is, what is the non-negotiable? It's hard to be a great player without this. Whereas the second question, and there is nuance and it's purposeful here, is what are the three most important traits to be an impact star to be a starter? Because right? there are a lot of starters in the NFL. What do you, what do you need to be a starter? You can't be a good starter if your in, if your instincts and anticipation are off, and if you don't have those traits, uh, it is hard to be able to stick a, as a starter in this league. Absolutely. Uh, my next trait, which is you know right under this, we call it one A, is short area quickness and burst. Mm. And I think that's so much more important than the long speed and that real kind of athletic um, profile that we we look for when players are in shorts and t-shirts and we're in the springtime evaluating draft prospects but the short area burst and the short area quickness is so much more important in that linebacker role when you're making reads and keys and everything is in a bit of a phone booth and you don't actually have real estate to open up speed and open up that long speed everything is done in short area forms mm -hmm. two to three yard spurts whether it's popping a block getting off the block then surging forward and finishing yep. a tackle can all happen in a three yard box so what does 4-3 speed do for you there? Absolutely nothing. But what is being tapped in? Your short area quickness and burst, the instincts and anticipation, and the toughness. Literally the three things we've talked about so far you see on a down-to-down -down basis. Is there time and a place for the 4-4 speed? Absolutely. But in a down-to-down -down basis, toughness, instincts, short area burst are really the three non-negotiable traits I want for my linebackers. All three of them, sub-linebackers, base linebackers, whatever scheme we're running, let's just lump that all in together. Yeah, and to me, you made the point that that short area burst and quickness, I think people initially would hear that and say, oh, okay, so like your 10-yard split and obviously your jumps, the things that measure explosiveness and talk about it from an athletic standpoint, all oh, your ability to close and your ability to you know take it and explode to the ball, but you, you never it when you said that it's also about 
taking on and popping a block and shedding a block because when you have guys that are explosive in that short area, that also translates to power and your ability to deal with contact. And so uh, guys that test well from that standpoint, that's not just a measure of how fast they are uh, from you know A to B in a short area, but then also how they're able to deal with contact. And if they've got that mass to be able to pair with that, well, now you're cooking with gas and that ability to really defeat contact on a consistent basis. Yeah, and that short area burst can happen you know, with your hips. You know, you maybe had to reset off a block and running backs bearing down on you and you want to generate some power and some force into that block, you snap your hips. The same thing with punching and getting off blocks. That's short area reactionary skills. So all of that comes in. It's not always just moving your feet, but you can burst your hips into a tackle. You can burst your hands into a block and then surging off of that block. This is essentially we're talking about playing football in a phone booth. So you can't always tap into 40-yard distances and long speed on a down-to-down basis. Mm. What would be your third one? It's just general, and this is very vanilla and maybe boring to some. It's just tackling. That's, at, at, at its essence, what your job is. Get the ball carrier on the ground. That's how Bill Belichick starts every summer defensive install. What is the golden rule here? Get the ball carrier on the ground. What's the number one trait they want in corners in New England? tackling. Yep. I know we're talking about linebackers, but your job is to get the ball carrier on the ground. So you must be a great tackler. And you can't always be a form tackler. You can't always pop a block with your hips and put your face into the middle of the ball carrier, wrangle them and roll tackle and finish them. It's not always how it happens. Sometimes you're late to the play and you have to maybe be a step behind and suddenly you're going to drag down and you're taking a heel to the chin as you're trying to drag down the ball carrier. That's no excuse. You have to tackle and you have to play through the contact. You have to be mentally tough and physically tough to play through everything that happens in that down. You're going to get held and punched in the face. And, you know, some of these ball carriers are vicious out there and they get a runway and get to come right at you. It doesn't matter. It's your job to tackle, tackle, tackle. And if you can't tackle, you likely won't play. Love it. Yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, it goes back to like toughness. It's like, yes, a thousand percent. You need that uh, to be a quality linebacker. So instincts, anticipation, short area, quickness and burst tackling. Very, very important right behind toughness uh, at this position. Now, I want to ask you just a, an introspective question. How have your evaluations changed uh, over time while studying this? Well, you notice how I said the short area, quickness and burst and phone booth. And that's come at the expense of focusing on long speed. I'm just not seeing long speed tapped into on a down-to-down basis, and I'm seeing players that really held their hat on long speed not be successful or quality NFL players. You know, you can look at the Darren Lees of the world that played that hybrid Sam role out in space for Ohio State, runs 4-3, looks great, first-round pick. They move him to Will Linebacker, and he can't play a lick. You know, Devin Bush is struggling as a 4-4 linebacker. Alec Ogletree, incredibly athletic and long. Couldn't cover anybody out there. So I'm seeing all these freakish athletes not able to execute the down-to-down responsibilities of the linebacker position. And yes, I know for every Darren Lee, there's a Devin White out there. There's a Tremaine Edmonds where they are fast and long and, you know, it is very impressive. But I'm just not seeing that hit as often as it should. So I stopped focusing on long speed. Some other things, I stopped focusing on the conversion aspect of players. You know, converting players into will linebacker roles, I'm much more reluctant to. 
Yep. I don't think it's that easy to take that Darren Lee, Nickel Sam player out in space over, you know, number two and detached and say, let's make him a Will, a Will linebacker. We'll get into this conversation in a few months here with Trenton Simpson, who, you know, converted from that safety hybrid role and is now playing true Will out there for Clemson. And we'll see how his season's going. Mm. A lot of people have a little bit to be desired based on uh, his position conversion. So the converting to Will linebacker, interesting conversation, but I stopped kind of lumping everybody into that position. One other things, when evaluating players, I really stopped focusing on the play outcome and really more of the process. Yep. What did they have to do to make that play? And I keep harping on the Darren Lees, and we could talk about other players I like. I like Terrell Hanks out of New Mexico State. Yeah. I, just, I just did. Yep. But they'd make these huge hits in the backfields and say, wait a minute, what did, was he asked Why? to do on the right. play? Yep. Well, he wasn't accounted in the run blocking. He was detached, so all he had to do was read run. He had 10 yards of head of steam or 10 yards free to shoot himself in the backfield, unblocked. He blasts ball carriers. Darren Lee looked great out there, but then ask yourself, what was he asked to do on the play? Right. That's not what he was going to be asked to do as a Mike or a Will. So I think the outcomes are really less crucial than the process and figuring out what did they do to make that play or maybe not make that play. Yeah, I, I think that it goes hand in hand with the the position switch guys is that not all linebacker, even guys that were listed as LB on the depth chart or on the roster page in college were asked to do the same thing. Sometimes there were those overhang, you know, nickel Sam players that uh, they weren't asked to do the same things as you know, a pure stacked Mike Backer. So uh, how they read the game out, how they were how, had the process on every single play, much, much different from one player to the next. Now, uh, when you look at this position in the NFL, a pure stacked linebacker, who are the best guys? How are teams valuing them? What do you view as just the importance of that position in today's game? Well, I think it's important um, to not be a segmented player, just a, a situational or role player. I think the best ones are the ones that give their defense flexibility by being a three-down player. That means you're strong not only in early downs against the run, but you can cover too and do all the aspects that coverage plays and defending the pass require, whether it's underneath zone drops, man coverage, blitzing, spying, sub rushing. If you can keep yourself on the field for three downs, that gives your defense continuity, consistency, um, you know, streamlined voices in the huddle. Typically, these players are the quarterbacks of the defense if you're a three-down player. Yep. Um, so I just love the continuity of being a three-down player. And I just think teams that have those segmented roles where you're doing line changes from subunits and then bring on the dime linebacker, I just find the continuity to be more of an uphill climb than mm. anything. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting, and the, you know, there's a lot of things that you know uh, people will point out about this position, and oh well, you know, if you, people think you're a fast defense, if you have fast linebackers, and that's probably true, right? So you people, you know, you look at the best defenses in the NFL, typically they're getting good linebacker play, but people also view the position as fungible. Oh, you can, you could find starting quality linebacker play at all areas of the draft or a low level free agency. And I think that there's valid arguments on both sides of it. Um, but obviously a great, you'd love to have great players everywhere. It's just a matter of understanding how you find uh, those great players. Yeah. And a handful of my favorite linebackers today in the NFL are all four, six players. Right. And being a four, six or four, seven linebacker, doesn't mean you can't be a fast flow linebacker or somebody with a quick trigger or someone that has lateral range. And, you know, that's Fred Warner who ran 464. Yep. And some of these young guys need attention, whether it's Logan Wilson in Cincinnati, who might be playing the best linebacking in the NFL right now. Matt Milano is a 467 guy, despite being a little bit undersized. Pete Warner ran 462 at 245 coming out of Ohio State. Really nice player for the Saints this year. So, like Milano, Logan Wilson, Pete Warner, Fred Warner. 
All four six players. I absolutely love every one of them. They're all very instinctual. They all take great angles. They're all fast flow. They're all really tough. They're all three down players. They can contribute in multiple ways. They're all incredibly tough. Um, I know, you know, it's exciting to look at the Micah Parsons. I know he's more of an edge rusher now, but, you know, the Devin Whites and Tremaine Edmonds and these 4-3, linebackers and Roquan Smiths. I'll take the Logan Wilsons at 4-6-3 all day long. Mm. Yeah, it's uh... – a conversation that I think we're going to continue here. That's, this was act one uh, here of this linebacker discussion. Let's continue it now with our uh, final segment of today's show. It's our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so for scouting report here this week, Ben, I wanted to uh, keep this conversation rolling, talking about linebackers, because, uh, you know, we, we don't often do this. Obviously, it's always, it's typically two separate guests for these two segments, but I thought, all right, let's have Ben on, talk through linebacker, and then carry the conversation over to current Eagles starting linebacker, TJ Edwards, a guy who's become a three-down player for this defense. And uh, you and I were both very high on TJ Edwards coming out of Wisconsin. Uh, both of us kind of viewed him as starting linebackers. You said it uh, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast back that year um, during that first training camp. You felt... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's this guy's gonna as an undrafted free agent, he's gonna stick with the 53 man roster, and that's exactly what TJ Edwards has done. And he's now turned into a three down player for this defense. Yeah, really fun player coming out of Wisconsin. It's going back through my notes. You know, he's a thick, hulking linebacker with excellent tackling and finishing skills. You're gonna hear a lot of these recurring traits we just talked about and yep. breaking down the linebacker. So, tackling, toughness, finishing skills, yeah. some of my priorities, things that I thought TJ Edwards did exceptionally well. But how did he do that? He took great angles to the football, was a great start start-stop player, despite being 235, 240 pounds, which typically get a little heavier. Your feet get heavier, and the start-stop typically comes at the expense. And I love the play ID, the FBI. Yes, He seemed like he was always a tick ahead of the action. How do you do that? Film study, reading your keys, tendencies, anticipation, knowing what the offense is going to do before they actually do it. And then his zone drops. I thought he was a great coverage player. Was he in man coverage a lot, you know, running the seam and carrying running backs on wheels on the sideline? Absolutely not. But did he take zone drops? Sure. Was great in the pass lanes, took great eyes, great angles, had great anticipation for route combinations, mm. knew how he was being attacked. None of that involved man coverage. Yep. None of that involves running 4-4. None of that really involves athleticism. You know, in just kind of a general statement. Um, some other notes, open field tackling was excellent. Great job playing through contact, playing against bigger opponents, which in the Big Ten, you know, a lot of kind of nasty weather games in Iowa and Ohio State, a lot of power football up in Minnesota and teams like that, obviously playing against Wisconsin six days of the Every week day, in practice. Yeah, right. <clears throat> um, but I thought his ability to play through and off contact against some of those hulking Big Ten run games, which really embody some NFL-style sizes and schemes. thought he did a great job with that. Occasionally blitzed, occasionally did some green dogging off of tight ends and backs that stayed in. Now, where were the concerns? Didn't love his length. Didn't love his long speed. Didn't love that he didn't feature any man coverage skills. A lot of concerns there. But that didn't mean he couldn't play linebacker. He runs 4-8, and it was just the, ah, a little pain in the side to say, 4-8, no one's going to take a 4-8 linebacker. He goes undrafted. But it doesn't mean he can't play linebacker. Yep. And I think that's what we saw from day one. And when you put on the tape, it didn't matter if he ran 4-4 or 4-8. He knew where he was going with angles, instincts, anticipation, toughness, finishing skills. 
that's what linebacker is about. And we've seen it with TJ Edwards in his young career here in Philadelphia. Yeah. I, the, the next question I have for you is like, which traits translated best? And you just hit it. It was like all the different things that you just talked about in the last segment. And that's why I was smiling as you were going <laughs> through those traits. It's like, yeah, this is everything we're going to talk about with TJ Edwards. And to your point about the 40 time, you know, he runs four, eight. And I, you know what I thought of was after the Detroit Lions selected Amon Ross St. Brown uh, last draft. So in the 2021 draft, they said they came to the podium and they and they were talking about it afterwards. I think they had uh, Brad Holmes, the GM, and um, you know I think one of the area scouts. And they said, yeah, we're sitting in Indianapolis, and when St. Brown ran, I think he ran like four six or he ran like high four fives. They were like fist pumping and they were, they were like excited. You know, they were trying to make sure they made sure they weren't on camera, but they were like, we were all excited because we knew like we're going to get this guy where we want him. <laughs> and I think that that's the that's the, the interesting part about the marketplace with players, the draft process is understanding to exactly what you just said. Yeah, like he TJ Edwards ran four eight. That means he's not going to get drafted high. That doesn't necessarily mean that he can't play linebacker. A thousand percent. There's a difference between like draft stock and what he could be down the road. No question. And for every one of these four eights that can play. I'll find you a 4-4 that can't play. Multiple 4-4 You know, and I hate keep play, going right. to the Darren Lees, but he was a first-round pick, Ohio State. It's just low-hanging fruit. It just is what it is. Sorry, Darren. But, you know, his obviously conversion to the Will Linebacker role, despite high-level football at Ohio State, despite high-level traits, despite high-level testing, couldn't make it. Yep. So I think for every 4-8, there's some 4-4s that can't play. And that's what I always say. Say, ah, but he ran 4-8. I'll find you a four three nine that can't play a lick. Yep. So it's all about in- instincts, angles, toughness, tackling. Nowhere in there do I mention long speed, and that's what T.J. Edwards didn't bring. And uh, we're sitting here, you know, in Philadelphia. Feel pretty good about what no, he's no question. Yeah. And how he's being asked to use, being used in that defense. Yes, let's is also very important. Well, let, let's go there because we've seen him now play in two different defensive schemes the last two years with Jonathan Gannon, and the first couple of years with Jim Schwartz. So uh, just reflecting on these last two in this current scheme, what is it that you like most about his usage and uh, bringing out the the best of what he brings to the table? Yeah, it's a lot of stacked linebacker roles, which means he's going to face a lot of kind of freedom on that second level, a lot of single blocks. Uh, he has a one-gap responsibility a lot of times. And the way this defense is deployed, a lot like the way Jim Schwartz, particularly in the run game and defensively uh, in the front, this is really a set-the-edge defense where you have hard edges set from the defensive ends and you want to force it back instead of the sideline spills where you're taking inside routes and you're trying to string the runner east and west. What does that do to linebackers? Puts more lateral stress on linebackers having to string things out to the sideline. So the scheme here of a hard edge can force it back to these big hulking linebackers, and he doesn't have to make plays out to the numbers and to the sidelines. Same thing with zone, or excuse me, with pass coverage. You see T.J. Edwards turning and running down the seam with tight ends. I can't recall that ever happening. Does he ever run the Tampa two hole? Very rarely. You ever see him get walked out against a, a running back and having to carry a wheel route or double move? Very rarely. Not a lot of man coverage responsibilities from the linebackers here in Philadelphia. So what does he do? A lot of zone drops, things that he did exceptionally well at Wisconsin, where you get to your landmark, exceptional eyes, exceptional angles, anticipation, the route concept anticipation. How many times do we see him being attacked with two routes? He knows the pass off the one, and the second is coming into his window. I'm just thinking right now of him breaking up a pass against Terry McLaurin a few weeks ago, almost a spitting image of that. 
didn't have to turn and run. Played in a little bit of a phone booth right there. Zone drops, zone drops, zone drops. And this defense is a perfect fit for TJ Edwards. TJ Edwards is a really good coverage linebacker. You said it earlier, just because he doesn't run, because he ran 4'8", everyone's like, oh, well, you know, he can't cover. No, this is a guy, he's one of the better coverage linebackers uh, in the NFL because of his eyes, his play ID, his anticipation. And that is a result of both, um, you know, the, the work he does in week and then also just understanding down in situation, uh, you know, once you get into, uh, into game week. But I think at the end of the day, um, one of the things that stands out too is that this is a this is a skill set that travels from scheme to scheme, right? So uh, in this defense, you, know, you talked about you know, it being more of an edge set defense and you know playing more to his strengths from that standpoint. Well, this is also a light box defense. This is a team that's going to play more often than not uh, with more more bodies and coverage in space and lighter boxes. Well, you need guys that can play well through contact if you're going to play that way. And, and people have made that uh, that discussion point with Jordan Davis. Oh, if you're playing with a lighter box, you need guys that can get you back uh, some of those gaps. Well, TJ Edwards is a guy that can, yeah, he can win those one-on-one battles uh, against offensive lineman he's got that ability but then also in the previous scheme where uh they didn't play light boxes and you had more often single high defenses with a safety roll down and you had those heavier boxes but your defensive line was wide nine get up the field rush 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 well, now you get offensive linemen up into the linebacker's lap. You need linebackers that can defeat blocks. Steven Tullock and Keith Bullock, and uh, you start going down the list of guys that have excelled in that scheme. Nigel Bradham was so good here in Philadelphia. He, what did Nigel Bradham run when he was coming out of Florida State? He wasn't a you know a four or five guy either. So at the end of the day, I think that uh, this is a skill set that travels really well, and it's one of the reasons why T.J. Edwards has been able to stick. And credit to the whole operation because it goes from the front office, obviously with a grocery shopping list for the right meals. The coaching staff then, you know, coming up with a scheme for those ingredients and then the players falling in line. So all those case studies I maybe had mentioned in the past that didn't work out, it's not always to the player's fault. So how they're being asked to play, you have to put them in positions to be successful. And if your scheme is a, you know, a zone-based scheme and you went and drafted a 4-3 linebacker, maybe isn't tapping into what he does particularly well and vice versa. So this is the collective machine all working together from the front office to the coaching staff to the players. You have to all be in sync and everything has to be on that string together because if the front office isn't supplying the right players for the scheme, you get players that are then out of position and maybe aren't being asked to think, do things that they excel at. And then next thing you know, they're not looking great on Sundays, and there's a stigma around them, and next thing you know, their career is over. So how they're being deployed and what the front office is giving that scheme, the whole machine has to work together. I think here in Philadelphia has been a great example. All right, so last question. Who's a guy in college football that you've watched that uh, reminds you of TJ Edwards? There's a couple of guys. There's a couple guys, right? Yeah, around college football that I like, and I, I eat this category up yes, because right. I don't want you running anywhere in the four fives or four <laughs> fours. So there's some guys that might be four six players, and I love every second of it. Just like I had mentioned before, the you know the the Logan Wilsons of the world, the Pete Warners of the world, the Fred Warners of the world. I didn't mean to give all those W names, but uh, NC State has a couple interesting guys. Drake Thomas. Really productive senior linebacker out there. He's about 6'2", 235, tackling machine. I don't see the the quickness or the, you know, the long speed. This guy's just a straight tackling machine. He's tough. He's violent. And I really like his production experience. Jacquez Jones at Kentucky. Mm. He's an Ole Miss transfer. He's been a five-year player in the SEC. Same, tip, same type of height, weight, speed as Drake Thomas. Tough, 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 and a great tackler. Rarely misses. And Vanderbilt has an interesting player at 6'2", 
230, Anthony Orji. Just talked about him Latin, uh, with Dane earlier on the show. I don't know if he's going to be an exceptional tester. Yep. He's a little bit taller. He looks the part out there. He looks a little stuck in the mud at times, but he's an exceptional tackler. He's exceptionally tough. He plays in the box quite a bit. Doesn't have to make a lot of plays out to the sideline. Doesn't turn and run very often. Great run stuffer. Tough, tough, tough. And he got to call out an Iowa linebacker. Jack here. Campbell, no like, question. I mean, is, what's Jack? Is he going to break four seven five? Like, I don't think so. Right. Doesn't but, mean he can't play on Sundays. Dude, Jack Campbell's such a good player. No question. He might go on day three and be a starting, you know, Will or Mike for somebody next yep. year. So Jack Campbell's a really fun player. And one little wrinkle in here I want to throw out. I'm a big fan of Matt Milano. Yep. I liked his transition out of Boston College as that undersized linebacker, really turning into a, one of the premier uh, Will linebackers in the NFL next to Tremaine Edmonds there. But Luke Reimer at Nebraska, almost a spitting image of him. Great mm. coverage skills, a little bit undersized, good tackler. He will test well he'll probably be a high four five guy low four six i could see him kind of filling into that matt milano role but as far as tj edwards you know uh clones out there drake thomas jockez jones at kentucky uh orgy at uh vanderbilt and of course a little jack campbell at iowa gotta gotta call out a big 10 guy before we get out of I here mean, campbell was the first name on my list let me <laughs> ask you a question i don't know if this is a a tj edwards comp but i think just going back to what how we started the conversation at the top of uh under the hood like Henry Toyo Toyo is a guy that I know you've been really big on, uh, and he checks a lot of these boxes. Like at the end of the day, it's hard not to envision him being a starting linebacker in the NFL. Yeah, I, th- I think Anthony or Henry Toyo Toyo is going to be an exceptional player. I think he'll be a day two pick all day long. Uh, my comparisons right here are Quan Alexander and Telvin Smith, uh, two really good linebackers that were drafted fairly high as well. I think Toyo Toyo is going to show some intriguing traits and athleticism. I just don't know if that's going to come in the 40. Yep. And he's a guy, a guy that's going to crush the shuttle right. and, you know, the three cone. But how do you tap into just his general toughness? Where do you show that at the combine? Yep. You know, where do you show that in, you know, in interviews? You're going to put it on the tape, watch him put his face into SEC ball carriers, pop SEC guards, get off blocks, make plays out to the numbers, be a three-down linebacker. It's it's tough to play defense in the SEC. You see, like, there's, I think there's 14 teams the SEC. I think 10 of them average over 30 points and 350 yards a game. We were laughing about that a couple weeks ago, right? Man, it is tough to play defense in college football. It is tough out there. So, Toyo Toyo, he's gotten beat. He's gotten cooked. He's given up some plays. He's missed some tackles. He's been beaten in coverage. He'll be better for it. He's an experienced player, a tough player, and I expect to see him on Sundays all day long. Well, Ben, this, is, uh, this has been fun. Good stuff from you in Scouting Report and Under the Hood, pulling double duty uh, here this week. Great stuff from Gabriella DiGiovanni and, of course, Dane Brugler as well. We'll be back later this week getting you ready for week nine in college football already here. Ben will be back with us later this week. We've got Ross Tucker. We've got another special guest as well. Stay tuned right on the feed right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Eagles fans, the midterm election is right around the corner. Now is the time to create your game plan to vote on November 8th. Text EAGLES to 26797 to register to vote and check your voter registration status. This year, voters will have the chance to elect officials to the U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, and many local and state positions. You can vote in person, by mail, or at a secure ballot drop box. If you are registered to vote in Philadelphia County, you can drop off your ballot at Lincoln Financial Field on Friday, October 28th, or on Sunday, November 6th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Our democracy is only as strong as our commitment to participate in it. Go birds and go vote.